If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour Oh yes, you know what time it is, boys and girls. It's time for the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. I am Keith Giles. I am the author of Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible, published by Choir. And I'm joined by my two amazing co-hosts, Matt and Jamal. Guys, say howdy. Hi, friends. This is Jamal. It's a pleasure to be back on the Here to Happy Hour with you. I'm the author of Free to Love and a soon-to-be published book called um, Living for a Living. So stay tuned for that. And that makes me Matthew DiStefano. Um uh, also authored uh, through Choir, as you all probably know. And I've got an exciting book that's coming out called The Genesis of Violence. And it's a super unique book that uh, I partnered with an artist named Zach Parsons. And that's going to be out sometime this year. So super stoked about that. Happy to be here on another episode. Yeah. And uh, I, by the way, should also say uh, we are still deep in the middle of our sex series. So boys and girls, uh, you might want to go play in another room and let mommy and daddy listen to this one. <laughs> Uh, because we're going to be touching on some pretty um, adult topics in the uh, episode to come. Uh, I also need to say that uh, we are sponsored. This episode is sponsored by good friends at the Hope Center, uh, a community resource center serving one of Alabama's poorest communities by providing a neighborhood market where neighbors can shop for food at no cost in an atmosphere of love and respect. Visit their website at servealabama.org to support them and to get more information. So cool. Hey guys, have you guys ever seen the movie Rocky? Uh, several times, many, many times. Yeah, I, lo- I love the series. But anyway, in Rocky One, I think maybe in Rocky Two, um, there's this funny scene, and uh, Adrian is with Rocky, and she's like really nervous to be at his apartment alone, <clears throat> and she's like thinking of excuses to leave. She's like, you know, I need to, I need to go. I need to let my brother know, you know, that he that, that I'm with you, you know. And Rocky's like, what? I mean, like, I'll just call your brother. He's, <laughs> she's like, you don't have a phone. He's like, no, I don't need a phone. And he opens the window and he's like, yo, Polly, your sister's with me. I'll call you back later. <laughs> and I just thought that's really funny because he just doesn't have a phone and that's how he talks right. to people. He just yells out his window. But I just have good mm-hmm. news for the listeners that you do not have to resort to that tactic to get a hold of us because we actually have mm-hmm. a hotline. What a long way around the block uh. <laughs> to get to the, to just say <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, so the number is 240-343-7379. Anybody can call this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I believe we have a voicemail. Could we cue that up? Hi, guys. This is Mallory calling from Alabama. Um, so I just started listening to the most recent podcast. Um, and I love you guys, and you guys all make me think. Um, but you did Uh-oh. delve into the topic of mental health a little bit. And um, one of the things that concerned me was a couple people kind of ventured into medication change. And I just wanted to encourage you to be delicate with that. Um, because just in the same way that we're all on different paths spiritually, we're all on different paths physically, and our physical bodies sometimes need medication to heal. Our physical bodies sometimes, or our, our mental selves, sometimes need medication to just help us get to a place where we can use the tools that we're learning in therapy 
And so, and I think there's already enough shame um, and stigma surrounding it anyway. So I just wanted to encourage you guys to be delicate with that because um, you have lots of listeners, I'm sure, who have wrestled with this topic, um, who have, you know, been able to recover with the use of medication to address mental illness um, or who maybe need it. And it could make their life so much more worth living. Um, thanks for all you do, Jess. Some thoughts for you guys moving forward. Awesome. Well, you know, it's funny because I, Wendy and I um, talked to uh, some people here just last night and the guy was telling us a, uh, his own personal story about how he had struggled with depression. I mean, pretty serious depression uh, after an injury that he had, a back injury. And he said that it, when he, he was very, very depressed and he said when he took Xanax, he said it was suddenly like all of a sudden when he looked outside uh, previously he said everything was in black and white. And after taking that, it was like everything was in color and he noticed things that he never noticed before. And it was literally like this um, switch had been thrown in his brain and this chemical imbalance had been corrected. And, uh, and he didn't stay on it for a long time. He's not on it now, but he said, you know, th- without that medication, he, he probably would have, you know, who knows, he could have committed suicide. He was, he was having those kinds of thoughts. So I, I, for one, and someone in, am in favor of medications for certain situations. I'm not, I'm not someone though who thinks that you should, uh, that a pill is the answer to everything, but I do think, um, medication can help people who are struggling with mental health or emotional health issues. Um, if nothing else, to at least get them to a place that they can deal with it in a better way. And then hopefully maybe get, uh, off of that. But anyway, that's just, that's my perspective. Yeah. And I, I would, I would agree with you, uh, Keith, I, I don't want to be like too binary or dualistic and pick one thing over the other, like, like Western medicine versus, uh, Eastern medicine or holistic approaches or something to that effect. Like medication definitely has its place. Um, you know, just to get just, it's not about mental health, but you know, my daughter has had been diagnosed with a condition recently and it's going to be managed through medication and that's appropriate and it it's working. So definitely, you know, if we came across as shaming, um, those who take medicine for any, for any reason. And that's, I, I don't, I know that wasn't the intent, but thank you for pointing that out because, you know, we do all have blind spots and um, yeah, I would just say, you know, any critique from me personally of uh, like big pharma, for instance, um, is not meant to shame those who do take medications because they certainly do have their place. Yeah. Thank you caller for your observation. I, I should probably referring to my comments as far as medication shaming. And, um, you know, I, I personally did not intend them to be shame, you know, to shame anybody in any way, but I do stand by what I said last week, uh, wholeheartedly. And actually, I, it's funny because my profession, what I do is I, I do coaching and I coach lots of people who are on medication and I see the value in medication. Actually, I've encouraged people to stay on medication or get on medication. But if you heard me shaming, um, you probably heard me incorrectly, um, because what I was saying is that. Western medicine typically, again, there's exceptions to this, typically Western medicine views the world through a materialistic grid in which everything is simply material. If you have a problem, there's a drug that will fix it. But I don't see the world through those lenses. So there's usually more to the story than simply medication. Take, for example, clinical depression. Somebody's clinically depressed, there is a chemical component to it, which is a serotonin a lack of serotonin. So there needs to be a boost in the serotonin levels to be able to function. So medication can be life-saving um, in that regard. However, you know, depression isn't a virus that you just pick up. 
there is there's more components to it than just a chemical component. Um, there's I believe to be energetic spiritual components to all of that. And so a lot of the work that I do, and there's been a lot of studies done that when people can begin addressing the thought patterns and um, emotional issues underlying depression, that your body comes back into line. And many of those folks can come off medication. And this is just documented through study after study after study. So there's no shaming in that. I'm just presenting another side that you typically won't yeah. hear. Okay. Well, and also I want to thank the caller for... Um, for bringing it up and giving us the three, the opportunity to kind of clarify where we're coming from. And, and again, uh, we do not want to make anybody feel any shame whatsoever. If you have mental health issues, if you are, if medication is helping you, uh, to cope with that and to become a, a whole person again, uh, you know, God bless you. That's, that's a good thing. Um, I think that, again, the goal would be if you can, yep. those, if you can't get to a place where you don't need it, that's great. Um, that would also be wonderful. But anyway, that's, yeah. So we got we got some texts also, right? Lined up. We do, we do. Cue that up. Oh my gosh. This is from a listener. Quote, any chance we can make an earlier goal of the Patreon to get Jamal to stop moaning into the mic? <laughs> Question mark. Is that possible? I'm getting all slicked up over here <laughs> and I keep sliding out of my chair. Unquote. <laughs> Oh yeah. First of all, I don't, I don't, I really don't understand that <laughs> message. So I, someone's going to have to like translate that for me because I don't understand. Uh, I guess I haven't been paying attention. I, I have not noticed the moaning. Maybe is that is that added in later? Maybe in post production or something? <laughs> yeah, I haven't noticed it either. Or we're just used to it. It's like uh, you know, you just don't hear it anymore. Yeah, I have a yeah. theory on this. Maybe there's some spiritual <laughs> warfare going on when somebody's listening <laughs> to this. You know, you're hearing things that's coming from you know the other side and it's not me it's that's right <laughs> i'm under attack here guys that's right we're leading we're leading people to, to stumble and uh, we need to apologize uh we have another one though right we have another time yeah. okay so we do we do we ha we have another uh, we have another <laughs> this one's a really good one um all right this is from a, a a listener quote love the podcast had some questions for the current sex series in light of the last purity culture episode as we all know the church has treated sexuality as something that should be essentially represent repressed in almost all forms until marriage. They treat it like a light switch. One can simply keep turned off until some magical ceremony moment when it's suddenly okay to turn it on and realize that one actually has sexual desires. A big problem with this thinking among many things is that some people by that standard get to flip that switch at 18 when they marry a spouse while others in their forties are told to keep um, holding on and wait, denying mm. and repressing any such drives until that partner finally arrives. My questions are, number one, what is a healthy Christ consciousness expression of sexuality and sexual drive or sexual release for singles who don't have a spouse or partner? Number two, despite the aforementioned expectations um, and mores in the church, older virgins are still often mocked and shamed by many in that same church culture for not having sexual experience. It's often a damned if you do, damned if you don't by a certain age scenario. What advice would you give to older singles who grew up in the purity culture who are still want waiting as a result and feel beat up by both the church and society at large for it? 
what are your views on sex or sexual experiences before marriage or some sort of covenant partnership ceremony or acknowledgement? Thanks. Hmm. Wow. That's a great, that's a great text. That's a lot of questions. There's four questions in it, right? There are three questions. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, well, there's three. Let's, let's, uh, we can knock out number three really quick. What are your views on sex or sexual experiences before marriage? Well, isn't that, isn't that our, that we're doing a, a podcast on the whole topic, I think, coming up though, right? We do have a live show coming up and that's actually going to be our topic. So we are going to have something coming up. Um, so that's question number three. We'll cover it in an entire mm-hmm. episode. Uh, but those first two are really, really good questions. Man. Um, yeah, I, I would actually, for number one, what is a healthy Christ consciousness expression of sexuality, uh, for singles who don't have a spouse partner? Um, wow. I, I actually, I'll just, um, say really quickly, I recommend a book called, um, uh, passionate marriage by, uh, David Schnarch and don't let the title mislead you. He talks about, uh, you know, being just about marriage. He talks about sexuality um, he, he covers this concept called differentiation. So it's really about knowing yourself and he gets into, um, those sort of things. And, uh, so that would be my recommendation. Just that I think even if you're single or married, it's, it's, uh, sexuality a lot is about, uh, finding yourself. And I think that can be done without a partner, but that's just an initial thought. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I think this, well, first of all, this, this text, uh, from a listener is just spot on. I mean, I think the questions that they're asking are, are right on the, the money because they you don't switch. The, the fact is sexuality is probably the, I like to tell people it's the best. It's one of the best parts of who you are. It's not something that should be you're ashamed of, or, um, I do think that we need a lot of reeducation and, um, you know, just relearning because a lot of us were, and you don't have to grow up in the church to feel shameful about your sexuality. I mean, there's so many, even like for, for, for guys, for boys who are like entering puberty and, you know, your, your sexual boys tend to, to be aware in a, in a very overt way of their sexuality pretty quickly early on. And a lot of that is just dealt with. There's just a lot of shame surrounding that. And I think that has to do with how we view ourselves. Mm-hmm. The way you view sexuality is a mirror to how you view yourself. So if you feel lacking and impure and just, you know, just less than in your own being, then when your sexuality begins to bud, it's going to carry that. It's just going to amplify that, in my opinion. So I really feel like um, it's, it, so if you feel good about who you are, then you can embrace your sexuality. I mean, I think it's just very natural helping people. Kids need a lot of navigation as to like, and if you're raising children, it's like when your kids are starting to come of age and they're having feelings and their bodies are doing, do, you know, responding sexually to, you know, to the hormones and things that they're feeling, then, you know, there just needs to be a real graceful you know, delicate way that that's approached with your children in a way that doesn't make them feel like their feelings and how they feel is bad, you know, and that may, then there needs to be real talk about, I and mean, I'm, I'm sure we're going to cover this in an episode, but things like masturbation yeah. right? and how do we view that? And what's, is that appropriate? Right? How, how should we navigate that? That's a, you know, masturbation is a very natural, mm-hmm. um, uh, human uh, it just, it's naturally, you know, people don't have to be taught how to do this. It's very natural to your human humanity. And I think there needs to be a lot less shame around this subject yep. because that's a, that's, there's a lot of discovery of sexuality in our sexual being in, and I mean, before you ever get into a committed relationship where sex is a part of that, I mean, you're becoming aware of your own sexual sexuality with your own body and 
that's a big if it gets if it gets hung up there guess what it's just going to get carried over into relationships so we yeah. need to back up a lot and there's a whole conversation we need to have about this yeah and actually jamal thank you thank you for yep. actually going ahead and saying that because if you didn't i was going to jump in and say uh that look you know we have to take shame out of the equation i think that's what the three of us are arguing for is to take shame out of the discussion uh, of sexuality yep. and if you do take yep. shame out of the picture then then if you are in the situation where you're single and you do have physical urges, which by the way are very natural, uh, if you want to say they were God-given because they were, this is how you're wired as a human being to have sexual urges and feelings. Um, and there's not a partner that you can express this with. Again, masturbation is not a dirty word. It's something normal and natural. Now, again, could those things, could it get out of control and could you maybe start getting into like lust and pornography? Yes, of course you could. And I would, and I would suggest that you not do that. But I do think it's that that masturbation itself is not a dirty word, and it's not something to be ashamed of, um, and it's it's perfectly normal for for a human being. And and you say in the question, you know, someone who is a Christ conscious uh, expression of sexuality, I think that is exactly what it is uh, is appropriate. Yeah, all that is good stuff, and thank you um, to whoever texted that in. Um, we're, yeah, we'll, we'll be covering a lot of this in our sex series and uh, can't wait to get into more of that kind of stuff. Uh, and I know we got a really cool episode today and a really great guest, but I have two quick announcements before we do that. First is that we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. And that's where you can go and sign up and support the show on a monthly basis. We're super grateful for those who have signed up. We have a lot of uh, uh, great things on there to offer folks who do support us on a monthly basis. Um, including two new services. We got one, a webinar for our tier two and tier three patrons. And our next one is going to be February 10th at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And uh, the first one was awesome. I know you guys loved it too. The people who joined, it, it was oh, yeah, super it was so fun. fun. So Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. I, we, I'm so excited about this next one. Coming. Yeah, yeah so I can't wait. we got another one coming up for uh, for those who sign up. And one other thing is we have private sessions as well. You can go to heretichappyhour.com slash store. And there's, uh, there's one of the options is a private session where you get to talk to all of us uh, over Zoom. And um, yeah, basically, whatever you're dealing with, you want to talk about, you, you get us for, um, for an hour or so, and we will sit and chat with you. Um, so that's another new service. Uh, but with that being said, I guess it is now time for the Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hi, my name is Chuck McKnight, and I am a heretic. Hi, Hi Chuck. Chuck. Uh, <laughs> hey, wow. We were just talking about how long we have been planning this podcast interview with you, Chuck. And uh, man, I'm sorry it's taken so long. Thank you for being patient. Welcome to the Heretic Capio. You bet. I'm so happy to be on here. Yeah, it's been about a year and a half in the planning now. Yes, but you know what? Um, good things come to those who wait. I'm sure we have a, a lot of really cool stuff to talk about here. And so I want to start off as we usually do and ask you, Chuck, why do some people consider you a heretic? I think at this point, the better question might be why not? Where am I not a heretic? <laughs> but uh, I mean, let's make a list. I don't. I deny inerrancy. I deny penal substitution atonement. I deny eternal conscious torment in hell. Uh, basically, pick your sacred cow of evangelicalism, and I don't agree with it these days. That said, 
if we're going by, in my opinion, the actual standard of orthodoxy, which is a Nicene Creed, I'm fully orthodox. So it kind of depends on what angle you're coming at it from. How do you do that? How do you, how do you, you, so you affirm the Nicene Creed and yet you deny all those other sort of deal breaker um, theologies and and, uh, ideas? I mean, basically those are all uh, coming at Augustine at the furthest back. But basically, they're they're Protestant ideas more than anything else. Yeah. yeah. So you're just really not a fan of Augustine or Calvin. So that's what you're saying. I mean, I can appreciate their historical impact on Christianity. They they certainly had some good things to say, uh, but no, not not on the whole of their theology, or certainly in Calvin's case, his uh, choices <laughs> of how he governed his his province. Yeah. I would disagree with strongly. Yeah, me too. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of of either Calvin or Augustine or uh, Luther a little, but he was kind of wishy washy. Um, I mean, he was a raging anti semite. Yeah, so. there's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there, that's a big deal. That's true. Um, I also, I, I, hopefully, you're okay talking about this because I know you and I've talked about some of these things personally. Um, but you have actually paid the price for your um, less than. Orthodox views, or you know, your your um, dissension from some of those things, like you mentioned, eternal suffering and penal substitutionary atonement theory, and uh, you've, I believe, you've at least had lost one job over uh, that kind of thing. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So way back in my conservative days, uh, I used to work for Answers in Genesis. If people aren't uh, familiar with that, that's <laughs> Ken yes. Ham's creation ministry. Oh, God. They're oh, the God. same guys who made the Noah's Ark. Only that was after I left. So you didn't help. Um, you didn't help build the. You were, yeah, you weren't on the construction project. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I did help with some of the website uh, promotions leading up to it. So in a sense, I helped build the ark, but not directly. No. Okay. Um, anyway, back while I was working there, uh, one of the biggest first points of my theology to start shifting was my view of hell, and at that point, I didn't even really make a firm change, but I just started giving more credence to the possibility of hell as annihilation, whereby rather than torturing sinners for all of eternity, at some point God simply causes them to cease to exist and their suffering's over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the just my allowing for the possibility of that view was enough that uh, I could not remain on as an employee because I couldn't positively affirm their statement of faith, which included eternal conscious suffering in hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after they gave me like a couple of weeks to to figure out where I stood exactly, and when I could not officially affirm that, uh, I had to resign that position. So wow! But at the same time, it actually turned out to be a pretty great thing because uh, after not being in a Christian ministry where I was bound by a statement of faith, I was able to actually explore uh, my beliefs and study the Bible honestly and follow where it led without fear of losing my job because I already had. Right. Mm-hmm. So. They they basically kicked off my deconstruction journey. Yeah. Oh, so God bless them, right? Yeah. yeah there you go. It's, yeah. It's a blessing in disguise. Yeah, it's really. I mean, go ahead. We, we're to bless their enemies, so absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah, it, it's really tough. <laughs> no, not that they're really, but you know. Yeah, it's tough when you have mm-hmm. a um when your have your employer forces you to sign a statement of faith like that, like um. Like I've looked into uh, as when, uh, my job hunt, you know, that I've been on over the last couple of years looking for jobs. You know, when you you find something and you think, oh, this looks good. Uh, if it's typically if it's a Christian organization or a Christian nonprofit or something, um, they're going to ask you to, to sign a statement of faith. 
where you agree in, like you said, uh, eternal suffering. And quite often, what really disturbs me is you have to also say that you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman and things like that. Yeah, it's it gets tricky. Yeah. It depends on the organization a lot, too. Some of them will kind of have this as a unifying thing, but they'll let you like write in an exception clause or whatever, but definitely not the case with Ensis and Genesis. They, they were very firm on basically an inerrancy of their own creed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It just seems relatively strange that we would basically add our own confessions as this inerrant document when you probably still affirm the Nicene Creed back then, and correct me if I'm wrong, and, and it wouldn't have changed your actual orthodox position, but not affirming their quote-unquote inerrant statement of faith somehow makes you... I just find it, I find it terribly ironic. Oh yeah, it's a it's a horribly I, I guess ironic is the best way to put it. Um, their whole big thing too, you know, people think about them as a creation uh, ministry, and to some extent that's true. But their big thing really is a biblical authority and mm. uh, using the Bible as this inerrant sole source for everything. But they're literally going to place on top of that this statement of faith that goes well beyond biblical authority issues <laughs> and say you have to affirm all this stuff to work at this place. It, it doesn't make really make a whole lot of sense. Sure. Mm. Well, Chuck, Chuck, I'm <clears throat> I'm from Ohio, so I've I've been to that museum in Cincinnati. I believe it's where it is, isn't it? Yep, it's or, or, it's no, it's in Kentucky. Well, yeah, it's Kentucky. technically in Kentucky, but right by Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. So I, let me just get this straight: you don't believe, and you correct me if I'm wrong. Are you saying you don't believe that dinosaurs and humans walked the earth together? <laughs> no, heretic. That, that does not. <laughs> that does not seem to be the consensus <laughs> of the scientific community. And I'm going to defer to them on that one. Well, Chuck, you know, we're, we're pretty accepting of most, most of our guests, but this is pushing the envelope. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had anyone on this podcast, right, in a year and a half, who has gone on the record as saying they don't believe that humans and dinosaurs live side by side. Well, here you go. Yeah. I'm the first. There you go. This is an epic and monumental day. <laughs> so, um, Chuck, you... Um, you haven't stopped. You, you listed a couple of things for us, you know, and I think we, the three of us uh, here, uh, the hosts are also on very similar page with you. You know, we've all had different ways that we've arrived at it, but, you know, we've rejected penal substitutionary atonement theory. We rejected eternal conscious torment, um, biblical inerrancy and infallibility. So we're kind of on the same page with you on a lot of those things. Um, but I also know that in the last, probably in the last year and a half, You've also had some other, um, I guess, epiphanies or realizations or changes in your views about other things that have um, also called caused people to even more want to uh, get the pitchforks and the torches out and consider you a heretic. And so can you talk a little bit about some of those other things? Well, given what I'm brought, being brought on to talk about, I'm assuming you're referring to polyamory at this point. Oh, that was a very is... leading question, yes. <laughs> no no hinting there at all. Is there uh, anything, yeah, that, else? So I, anything else? <laughs> so I am affirming that Christians can be polyamorous, and that is definitely something that has uh, gotten me a lot of flack for that belief. Yeah. So you, was it, a, it was about a year and a half when you wrote your first few articles about this, right? Yep. Yeah. About a year and a half ago. Yep. And, um, so for our, for our listeners, can yeah, you unpack what, what that means? About. Polyamorous? Absolutely. So polyamory, uh, it's the travesty of a combination of a Greek and Latin root to mean multiple loves. Uh, basically the idea that 
one person can love multiple people in a romantic way and that uh, we are not bound to this idea of monogamy whereby one person and one person are together forever. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, that is a stretch. I'll be very honest with you. And, and again, you and I have had some conversations privately as well. Um, when you started writing those articles and, um, and so I, I think I told you right away that I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. Um, and, um, and I still don't, to be honest, but this is the reason why we wanted to have you on the podcast to kind of talk about it. And this is something that I know you have, you've studied it. It's not just a subject that you've studied and read about and, and something like that. You are actually in a polyamorous relationship at the moment. Uh, I am in that in that I'm in an open marriage. Uh, mm-hmm. My my wife and I are polyamorous. I'm not currently seeing anyone other than my wife, uh, but I am open to that possibility. If uh, you know the right other person comes along, it's not something I'm actively pursuing at the moment, mainly because I don't know that I have enough time for another relationship right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, but my wife is dating other people, and it, that's definitely the the place in life where we're at. Yeah. So do you mind kind of walking us through how this happens? I mean, like how, how was, did you immediately just, um, you and your wife talked about this and you said, Hey, sure. No problem. Or was this something you had to wrestle through and what was the process of, if there was a process, you know, kind of what did that look like? It's d- definitely a long process over time that, you know, started way back when we, my wife and I both, uh, started reconsidering, uh, LGBTQ affirmation. And uh, coming to to realize that there's really no good reason to, and in fact, it's very harmful to deny uh, those relationships to other people. And that just kind of, you know, it's it's all this sort of related stuff. Like it's not, I don't want to put polyamory in the same category as LGBTQ, but there's, there's definitely a lot of crossovers. And uh, so with that, just start thinking through like, is this a problem? Should there be a problem? You know, uh, for me, everything comes back to love. Love is my guiding ethical principle. I, I think that Jesus and Paul are very clear on that, that all the commands come down to love. And so the question is, does this go against love? Is there anything unloving about this? Uh, and for me, the answer is no. I can't think of any reason based on the ethical principle of love why this should be a problem. So, uh, that just moved to a place of affirmation therein. And um, I, I don't want to go too much into personal details sure. with my wife and I, just because, you know, that's that's our story. But uh, we eventually came to the pl- place where we decided that that was for us and that's something we're going to try. And uh, quite a while later now, we are, we're still quite happy with that decision. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So um, I, I can probably think of some things off the top of my head on what some of the biggest pushback is. But um, in your experience, since you've come out and affirmed this and, um, you know, you don't have to go into all the details, but I mean, I, you know, you and I are friends on Facebook. So I've seen that you have, you know, been pretty open about this whole thing. What's what's been some of the most common? Well, let's just say misunderstandings of what polyamory is or isn't in your mind. Oh, I could give you a whole list of them. In fact, I've I've written whole articles on on the misunderstandings. We have uh, one of the time. biggest ones is what's that? We have a lot of time. <laughs> just don't go for it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, one of the biggest ones is just this idea that it's all about sex and that polyamorous people are only polyamorous because they want to sleep around and this whole idea. And uh that's just not true at all. Polyamory, it really is about 
more love, about loving more people. And yes, that's in a romantic way. And yes, that will include sex, probably. It might not, not for everyone, but in most cases, probably yes. But to say that polyamory is about sex is kind of like saying that monogamy is about sex. You know, uh, yes, in a monogamous marriage, you're going to have sex. But if you're getting married only to have sex, not that that doesn't happen in purity culture, (laughs) but if you're getting married only to have sex, that's a pretty big problem. That's not a great foundation to build a marriage on, nor is it the foundation behind polyamory. Um, Let's see, what else? Uh, well, do you, do you want to talk about that before I move on to other problems? Or? No, no, yeah, but unpack that a little more. I think that's, that's worth exploring that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, g- give me a question about it. What do, what do you want to unpack there? Well, let's see. I mean, it's one of these things where, again, the three of us uh, or the four of us in this conversation here, um, you know, we're not necessarily people that are wanting to always flip back to the Bible and say, well, the Bible says, um, because, sure. because frankly, I can also Keith, speak for yourself. Jamal does. Keith, speak for yourself. That's me. Dude, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me just speak. I, I apologize. I'm, I should only speak for myself. Um, but, but here's what's funny is that, so uh, I could, I could almost take a step back and say, you know what? I could, I could both, I could take five minutes and I could use scriptures to support everything you just said from the Bible and say that the Bible supports polyamory because, well, you know, Abraham, had more than one wife and Solomon had multiple wives and David had multiple wives. And God never said anything bad about that. It just kind of seemed like that was, that was an option. Um, in fact, almost all the, the, you know, the Jewish fathers of their, of the faith, um, the prophets and those guys, they, they all had multiple wives. And um, so you could biblically support the idea, but of course you have a lot of fundamentalist Christians that are, that are freaking out if they're listening to this. Um, thinking, oh my gosh, what you're saying is so heretical, Chuck. How could you? How could you believe that? Because the Bible. Then you could also use the Bible to say, well, the Bible says marriage is one man and one woman, and uh, and monogamy is what God always intended with Adam and Eve, and etc. So, um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just curious. How? What are some of the ways you respond when? And I know it's happened when Christians have come to you and tried to use the scriptures to sort of argue you down and say that you're wrong and, and that you're teaching something or practicing something, you know, that's uh, either heretical or blasphemous or something like that. So the first thing I'd say is that I am definitely not a, uh, uh, a, a biblicist in that sense. I don't, <clears throat> I don't see uh, proof texting from scripture as being the best way to do ethics. Mm-hmm. That said, I don't think that there actually are any passages of scripture that speak against this. and pick any one of the ones that people bring against you, it's it's based on a misunderstanding of it. You know, the biggest one is always that Jesus goes back to Genesis and says, you know, the, the man shall uh, leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. And this is raised up as this ideal of monogamy. But the thing is, nothing about the passage actually says that. It's, it's just explaining what happened in this story of Adam and Eve. Um, it's not saying that that is the only acceptable model. And in fact, a few chapters later, you have one man taking two wives, uh, leaving father and mother to be, to cleave to his first wife, then becoming one flesh and then presumably becoming one flesh again with another woman. And, uh, while that character is not the overall most positive, nothing is said negative about the fact that he had two wives. That's just an aside that is assumed as a part of the culture because, when these stories were written, uh, it was the norm for uh, polygamy to potentially be carried out. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that said, uh, I should at this point, too, draw a distinction between 
polyamory as practiced today and polygamy as shown in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, polygyny, which is one man with multiple women. Uh, polyandry will be one man with multiple or one woman with multiple men. And polygamy is a broad umbrella. There are all sorts of problems with the patriarchal form of polygyny that's practiced in the Bible. Uh, and that has much more to do with the fact that women were viewed as property yeah. and that it was only ever a one man with multiple women. There was no freedom to go the other direction. Um, uh, again, I've written a number of articles that can we can look up on those. So this kind of polygyny that we see in the Bible, it's very different from modern polyamory, and there's all sorts of problems with it. Uh, so I, I want to make sure to draw that distinction. You know, when I talk about polyamory, yes, there are these biblical examples that provide support for uh, loving more than one person, but it, at the same time, they're problematic, and it's not the same thing we're talking about when we talk about polyamory. Uh, Chuck, yeah, just a quick question. I just want to make sure I'm understanding you uh, correctly. So what I hear you saying is that you're obviously not, uh, you're drawing a distinction between uh, polygamy and uh, and polyamory. It's not a patriarchal uh, one man with many different women. But I, I guess, I think maybe you, you alluded to this earlier in the conversation that you, you would classify your relationship status as like an open marriage, which allows for the possibility of you being romantically involved or your, your, your wife being romantically involved with other people. Um, but it, would you say that your prime, I just want to make sure I'm understanding you, you are, would you draw a distinction? Like I share a household um, with my wife, you know, we have this unique status as, you know, cohabiting in a household together, raising children, or would you also be open to the fact that your wife may bring other people into the household. You may bring other people into the household and live in this in a kind of community of romantic relationships. I mean, how do you what's how do you how do you f- work that out? Or do, would you say that you and your wife are in this primary marital relationship, and you do, you guys just might be romantically involved with other people, you know, outside the home? How does that work? Like, how do you? So uh, there's any number of configurations that potentially take place uh, within polyamory. Uh, there is that kind of uh, having a primary relationship with your your husband or your wife, and then having secondary relationships. Um, and a lot of polyamorous people don't really like that primary and secondary language because it it makes it sound like the others are lesser or something like that. Um, there are also uh, closed polyamorous relationships whereby you have three or four or any number who are in in relationship together, but they're not open to others. Um, they're any number of combinations of the two, there are solo polyamorists who don't really have any uh, particular person who is their person, but they just have multiple relationships that they balance and are all different and their own. Uh, there's any number of uh, ways this works out, and it can sometimes make it sort of confusing to talk about because there are so many possibilities. But um, yeah, it's a broad umbrella. Um, so with anything, with any relationship, obviously, they're going to have unique uh, traits. They're going to be unique in, in and of themselves. And um, they're going to be complicated in, in ways that, you know, relationships are complicated. That's just the nature of them. Um, in, in your experience or in talking to other, I'm assuming you've talked to many other polyamorous folks or read their books and, and things of that nature. Uh, are there any, uh, I would say, specific... Um, issues that polyamorous folks face that maybe monogamous married couples don't? 
Absolutely. And the other way around as well. Um, one of the big things that always comes up, especially in like people asking about polyamory, is the question of jealousy. You know, how, how do you avoid jealousy when your partner is with these other people? And um, that, <clears throat> so that, that's, that's one of the big ones. And it's definitely something that uh, you have to work harder at and be more deliberate about and have more uh, open and intentional communication about. But it's not insurmountable. Um, and like I said, there are, there are other problems that are unique to monogamy that you don't have here. So it's it's a balancing thing. It's a matter of for every person knowing what is right for them and which uh, which set of problems they find less desirable. Hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I, when I first heard about it, I'll be honest, like as a as as someone who's influenced by Gerard, I would my I, and I think I, I sent you a message like that's, I think, something we, you would have to be specifically um, keen to is our um our mimetic propensity towards this jealous nature. And like you just said, it's something that you would have to, and maybe this is a positive thing is that it, it almost, and correct me if I'm wrong, forces you to be really vulnerable and have those conversations. Whereas, whereas some monogamous folks, I mean, some married folks I'm, I'm sure are, are less than vulnerable in that way. Yeah, I, I think it definitely can be a positive in that sense. Um, if you if you are a couple who is thinking about becoming polyamorous and have not established that uh, ability to really communicate constantly and deeply and vulnerably, then that's absolutely something you're going to have to do moving forward. And I think that will be a much healthier thing for the relationship all around. Yeah, certainly. So can I ask you, Chuck... Um this may seem an odd question, but um, can you talk about what are the benefits of this relationship? Like what are the, now that you've done this for a year and a half, what are the positive things you would say that you've experienced that you would say, this is what's great about it. This is why I'm so glad we've done this. This is how it's uh, improved our relationship or our personal lives or our family. And like, can you just talk about the positive things um, that have come about as a result of this decision? Yeah, so it's going to be different for everyone. For me personally, coming out of a strong purity culture background, um, I have really appreciated just the the freedom that this affords to be myself uh, around those of the opposite sex in particular without fear of crossing that line, whatever it is. you know. Um, and, you know, uh, Jamal, in your book, you, you talk all sorts about uh, you know, these friendships between sexes and um, being free to love. For me, polyamory is something that has allowed me that. It has allowed me to develop true friendships with women because, you know, before I always had this lingering doubt, you know, am I being too flirtatious? Am I crossing some sort of line? Uh, am I spending too much time with this person as opposed to my partner? You know, all these these questions and doubt and the whole Billy Graham rule about never being alone in the same room with a woman. Um but when I'm in a place where if a relationship did develop from a friendship, that would be okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And so I'm, I'm not uh, worried all the time about, am I crossing the line? Is this too far? I can just be myself and be friends with anyone, regardless of their sex. And I think that's great. Yeah. Now, I, I just want to say, like, uh, I think I do think that's that is a great thing. 
But like, I, I would say that I don't have an open marriage and I do have really good, uh, strong, sincere, you know, friendships with, with women and with men. Um, but like when I have relationships with women that are, that are friendships that are, you know, I feel, I mean, it's more of a sisterly thing where I feel that I treat them as sisters. Um, and I don't ever feel odd about that. And it's not something that I ever feel like is crossing a line or is going to, you know, be too weird or something like that. So for, for sure. Ways, I feel like I, yeah. I, I'm not at all meaning to imply that you can't have those kind of uh, friendships if you're not polyamorous, not in the slightest. I'm only speaking from my experience and the benefits I have perceived from it. That's something that I had a problem with before and I've been able to yeah. overcome as a result. Right. Oh, okay. That's cool. So do you, do you feel like, um, this is kind of where I feel, I mean, you know, tell me if I'm right or not. So do you, do you feel like the idea of monogamy is, uh, is purely a cultural, um, sort of concept that, um, we've all been raised this way. We've all been taught this way. It's been reinforced over and over again in, in every possible way to us. And so for us, that this is what we, the majority of us consider as quote unquote normal. Um, but that other than that, that monogamy is something that shouldn't necessarily be considered as the only option, right? I, I think that monogamy as the default is definitely a cultural thing. Um, the, the idea that that's just the way it is and that anything else is abnormal. That's very much cultural. Um, I don't have any problem with monogamy for those who choose it. I think it's a, a perfectly acceptable way of doing a relationship. And for some people, it works a whole lot better than polyamory does. Um, so I, I don't think it's like, you know, an, a negative of culture that we need to overcome with polyamory. Mm -hmm. But in terms of it being just what everyone views as the default, that's definitely a cultural conditioning. Yeah. So I've got another question for you. <laughs> I hope I'm not dominating everything. I just, I just have questions. Um, Matt and Jamal, if you guys have a question, please jump in. But I wanted to ask this question. Um, so, Chuck, you know that to many people, this just seems so crazy. And, and I know you've gotten all kinds of reaction and pushback. And um, and maybe you can talk a little bit about that as well. Like um, not just people on Facebook and online, but friends and family and things like that, how they've reacted but, but, uh, but uh, so this is sort of twofold. So talk about that a little bit, but I also want to know um, if you feel like you're taking a stand on polyamory uh, publicly and on your blog and, and things like that has also, do you think it's had any negative impact on your, your theology, uh, just your uh, being taken seriously in other things? For example, like, you know, Greg Boyd, I know a lot of people love Greg Boyd, but they are not very happy about his open theism. And, um, and some of them even don't even want to tell their friends that they, that they read Greg Boyd because they don't want to be associated with, uh, you know, the other parts of his, uh, what he's known for. And so I would say this is probably way more extreme than something like that. Uh, how, how is it, how has it been for you just uh, relationships with friends and family, as well as just, um, how do you think it's impacted the way people perceive you and your writing and, and other things that you do. I've definitely gotten a lot of pushback for it. No doubt about that. Um, friends and family and everyone else at the same time, uh, I've been pushing the envelope and everything else for so long that to be honest, I don't feel like it was that much different of a reaction than when I said, I don't 
affirm inerrancy or that I do affirm LGBTQ relationships or any of these other issues. Um, it It's just kind of par for the course at this point for me. <laughs> In terms of uh, how it might affect um, uh, the broader aspect of my ministry and other things I want to talk about, you know, I, I don't doubt that there are some who are going to write me off for it. But there's been way less of that than I've expected, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, the vast majority of people who have been on this journey of theologizing and all this with me are still around. Um, you know, I've dropped a few, but, you know, that's their mm-hmm. loss. Uh, for me, I'm just not okay with living anything anything else than totally open. Um, and that's not, I want to really quickly clarify because lots of polyamorous Christians are not open about it, and there's any number of perfectly good reasons why they're not. And if that's your choice, that's I completely support you in that. I don't want to out anyone who isn't ready to be out. But for me, uh, I just want to live openly. And if I believe something, I want to say it. And if people don't like it, that's their loss. You know, uh, you know, Greg Boyd, uh, I, I appreciate a lot of what he he has to say too. And open theism is is well among them. You know, I, I wouldn't respect him nearly so much if he were were hedging around around the bushes there with with this belief that he holds but didn't want to talk about it for mm-hmm. fear of reprisal you know just believe what you believe and share what you want to share about that and it'll it'll be yeah. what it is yeah and i think i i think um what what i wish people would take away from you know and it doesn't have to just be about polyamory it could be about any things we're talking about penal substitution all these theological things what we believe about the bible lgbt question but since we're talking about polyamory we'll, we'll use that as the example is that i've i've not heard one polyamorous person who says any everyone should be in this type of relationship that's the first take takeaway i would and and the second i think would be like it's it's not it's not for everyone and you've said that and so it's like one of those things, like when Paul says that, you know, all things are beneficial, not all things are build up. Well, if it wouldn't build your relationship up, fucking don't do it. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And that's, you know, I would want I would want our, our listeners to remember that it's like, no, approach all things with empathy. And and if it's not for you, it's mm-hmm. not for you. And that's totally cool. Just as just as on the flip side, monogamy may not be for everyone. And it doesn't impact like my, I totally, my wife and I are totally content to just be in a monogamous, monogamous relationship. But if someone else isn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, um, I can have concerns and ask questions and have this great dialogue like we've had Chuck. And thank you so much for being so vulnerable and, um, honest in this. Um, but at the same time, like, like flip it around and say, okay, you do you and I'll do me. And, and how can we help, um, help each other along the way, no matter how our relationships are labeled or defined. Yeah. So that would be my big takeaway from any of this kind of stuff. I think that's definitely the healthy way to approach it. Yeah. Well, uh, let me, let me just try another question here, Chuck. Um, You know, in some ways I think you're being really, really insensitive to people who are single and can't even have a single relationship. And here you are having like (laughs) multiple relationships. Like, come on, man, you're just, you're, what are you doing, man? What do you say to people that are like, come on, I, I'm just trying to have us find one person in my life. And then now you're saying that it, you should just have a whole bunch of people in your life. Well, on the one hand, uh, I think we have to understand that singleness actually is a choice of a different style of relationship that a lot of people make too, uh, in, in the other direction. And 
you know, that's another problem the church has had is affirming singleness and uh, building up singles in, in a, a healthy way and not making it out to be that you have to have one partner or two partners or anyone else right. to be full and whole. Um, so I just want to first affirm singles who choose to be singles. Your relationship is equally valid. Uh, with that, I understand that, you know, dating is hard. <laughs> uh, it, it took me plenty of time to, to find my wife. And like I said, I've, I've been in a polyamorous relationship for a year and a half and I'm not dating anyone else. Granted, I'm not actively looking for anyone else, but you know, it's, uh, dating is what it is. You know, sometimes you, you find a compatible person right away and other times you don't. And I, I don't think that's really any different if you're monogamous or polyamorous. Uh, it's it's just kind of how that is. Yeah, I, I'm just kind of pulling your chain, man. So I understand. But thank For you. Sure. I do agree. I agree with what you're saying, especially about the singleness thing. Um, that is very, very true. Uh, and I think, yeah, the, there is plenty of um, affirmation given by both Jesus and Paul for those who choose to be single. And unfortunately the church, uh, the, uh, the wider church, you know, the popular church has really uh, ignored that. And it still plays into this idea that no, 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 you're, you've got to get married. You've got to meet someone. You're not really a whole person. And uh, if you don't, if you're not in a, a relationship. Or they forced to be celibate those who would not choose it on their own, which is equally yes. problematic in another direction. Yes. Because they happen to be gay. Um, right. Or Catholic and a priest. Right, exactly. Yeah, Chuck, you know, I have mm-hmm. to say I give, you know, kudos for you, you know, for you. I I um I respect that you want to live in such a way that you're you're not ashamed of uh, what you believe and that you're out out in front with it. And I think, you know, I think that's just because that's how you're how you're that's what you're here to do is to challenge thinking and um I think that's why you write and and uh that's how you've just been wired and designed. But I, I think for me, when I think about this conversation that we've had, um, Christianity in the church in general and Christianity historically has been really bad at allowing people to be who they are and express what they feel like they need to express. Um, and that's, um, yeah. you know, yeah. obviously I'm, I, I've had views that, you know, I get written off or labeled and that kind of thing. And I just think that it's time for that to just end. With that said, um, you know, I think what I what I like about this conversation is I do think there is. Um, I try not to look at things through the grid of good and evil, right and wrong. So I don't, and that's not. I, I want to come from a place of non judgment where it's not like that's bad, that's good. Um, but I do think there's room. This is a very very sensitive conversation. A lot of people. Um, I mean, it's one thing to talk about it intellectually. Obviously, you're living it, so it's quite different for you. But for a lot of people who are listening to this, like this is, you know, I, I'm engaged to be married. Um, I'll be married um, very, very soon. And I was talking about this subject with my, my fiance. And, you know, I was just telling her, we were just very honest. Like, yeah, we would not be comfortable um, in, a, in, a, in a non-monogamous relationship. It just, and we're trying to flesh that out. And why does that, why would we not be comfortable with that? Why is that not okay? So I, I'm at, I'm at a place where I don't, um, I'm, I, I'm, I, not only do I, I don't see, you know, polyamory as good or bad. Um, just like, I don't see really anything else as, you know, uh, good or bad, but I do me personally, I have some concerns, whether it's healthy, 
Uh, I'm not, I'm not, a, I would not say I'm affirming of polyamory yet. I accept you and I'm not, there's no judgment against you personally. Um, but I'm not affirming. I would not be affirming of that way. So and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, or at least I want to demonstrate like we can actually not always be affirming. However, we can be accepting of the person. I know that's a touchy subject and we'll probably get into that a little bit more, but I just wanted to say that. So yeah, Chuck, how do you respond to that? How do you, do you feel that's okay for someone to say they're affirming? Um, they're not affirming, but they're accepting. Do you understand what that means? Or do you, do you, do you yeah, that? Um, that, that, that's a tricky thing to respond to because we're talking in one context and I'm of course immediately thinking about another context. Um, in the context of polyamory, uh, I think we, the church culture, we're just kind of starting to have this public conversation. And so I'm not expecting people to be uh, coming around to a full affirmation stance anytime soon. Uh, I want to have this conversation. I want to work society and the church to that place, but I'm not expecting that quite yet. And so, you know, that that's fine. That's an acceptable uh, uh, stance, Jamal. And, and I'd also say, too, uh, kudos to you and your future wife for having those conversations and really thinking about it before starting off your marriage rather than just kind of defaulting into it with monogamy and not having given either side a second thought. I think that's a really good thing that'll start you off well. Chuck, thank you so much. I do. I think that's a really important point. Just I, what I hear you saying is be conscious about it. So if you're going to yeah. be monogamous, be conscious, sure. consciously monogamous. As Absolutely. Just this knee jerk kind of like this is the way it is. Now, all that said, uh, because we're talking about affirmation, I have to jump to the other topic, which is LGBTQ affirmation. And where I'm at, I, I think that the world and the church have come far enough. We have blown the clobber passages out of the water. We have demolished every argument there is to go against saying that same-sex people can be in a relationship together. Uh, and beyond that, it has been thoroughly demonstrated just how harmful it is to not be affirming of them. You know, the, the suicide rate for LGBTQ youth in particular is just through the rough. And that's directly, directly a result of the lack of affirmation from the people who are supposed to be giving them the most love. And so, no, I don't think it's okay to be non-affirming on that one. That's my position. But it, it is a bit of a different context. So You're saying on LGBT, it's not okay to not be affirming, right? Yes. Okay. That is my position. So tell, can you tell me, Chuck, what, what is the difference? Like, how would you say that this is a different issue? I, again, I think a lot of it has to do with just where we are at as a society. You know, we've been having the LGBTQ conversation for so much longer. We've had all the time to hash out the arguments and get rid of the clobber passages, not get rid of them, but understand them in, in the proper yeah. exegetical light. Um, you know, the, all the excuses for having this non-affirming stance are gone. And, and again, we've had all this research to show just how much active harm being non-affirming causes. Uh, I don't see any polyamorous people committing suicide because people aren't affirming them. Maybe that's right. happened. I don't know. But I, I have not seen anything like that. Uh, and that puts it in a bit of a different light, in my opinion. Right. But if it were to happen, that would be an unfortunate thing. And we'd have to... Of course. Uh, you know, I mean, this would, be, this would be my stance is that we'd have to reevaluate that and say... Well, is our non-affirming position leading to social ostracization or suicide rates that go up or, you know, depression, anxiety, right. all those sort of things? Yeah. I mean, one of the most fundamental principles of all ethics, Christian or otherwise, is do no harm, right? 
You know, if something sure. is, if you can see proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that your actions cause harm, then that makes that action wrong. And it is proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that being non-affirming causes harm to LGBTQ people. Therefore, I have to say that mm. that's wrong. I, I don't see that being quite the same in polyamory as much as I'd love for everyone to affirm it. Uh, I, I'm not going to draw quite as hard a line yeah. on that. Well, I, I just want to say too, um, just so I say it here on this podcast while I have you here, um, and yeah, because again, you and I, Chuck, have had a couple of conversations about this too. Um, I mean, I don't get it. I'm just going to tell you, I don't understand it. I mean, I understand it in the way you've explained it in your situation. I just say, when I think of myself and, and Wendy and I and our relationship, I can't go there. I can't compute that. I don't, I don't see how that would have ever been something we would have done. Um, and I don't, I, I mean, really just, uh, I don't understand the whole idea of it. Uh, and I, and in some ways I am a little bit of, yeah. And, and there is nothing right, wrong with it, that at all. You know, that just means that you're not wired right. for polyamory and that's right. That's and then, but I also at the same time though, I want to say that I love you and you know, I love you and I have quoted you, but my last two books, I quoted you extensively and, um, and I would do it again. And, um, in fact, you and I are writing a book together and I have no problem with that whatsoever. Yep. And I don't care if anybody says, Hey, you're writing a book with that polyamory guy. Well, tough. Yeah. Because he's Chuck and he's my friend and I love him. And he has a lot of great things to say and share. Uh, and I learn from you and I, yeah. Love and too, so, Steve. so, so I don't know if that's the same thing as Jamal just said, which is that, um, uh, I, I accept you and I love you. I'm not sure that I went, when I would affirm it in the sense of like, if one of my kids came to me and said, Hey dad, should I do this? Or if someone else I knew said, Hey, I'm considering this in my marriage, Keith, what do you think? I would be like, um, wow. I don't know that I would recommend that. I might give him your number, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know what I would say because it's just really difficult. But, but at the same time, I'm so glad that you're willing to come on and talk about it so openly uh, and share. And then, and then also, by the way, Chuck, thank you for having grace for me, because even though I'm your friend and I don't get it, you know, I'm, and I'm open about the fact that I don't get it, uh, that that doesn't change the way you feel about me. And I appreciate that too. For sure. I mean, getting it and being dismissive of it are two entirely different things. You know, it's, it, it's, it is such a novel concept to many people that it makes sense that it it's going to be hard to to grasp or understand there's no problem with that at all that's just a matter of being honest about you know what you understand about it and where you are um it's an entirely different thing to jump from that to judgment on people for what you don't understand and that's the biggest problem that you know conservative christians in particular run into is this immediate default to judgment over something you don't understand yeah. yeah. Well, I, I appreciate the grace that you're, you're definitely demonstrating, Chuck, a lot of grace um, for people who don't, you know, who aren't, aren't there, you know, or maybe don't affirm it. Um, I do hear that in your voice. It's a lot of grace and uh, that is needed. That's mm-hmm. yeah, just needed all around, I, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Chuck, why don't you just take like two seconds and, and let our listeners know where they can get a hold of you. Keith, um, mentioned that you guys are writing a book together and uh, I'm super excited about that and looking forward to that. But uh, in the meantime, until that's out, where can people contact you and follow, follow what you're doing? So uh, my main place is at my Pathios blog, which is hippie heretic. Uh, You can just get to it by hippieheretic.com. And you can also find me on Facebook just by my name, Chuck McKnight. Uh, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not quite as active there. Uh, Yeah. Hit me up and let's have a conversation. 
<laughs> cool. Yeah, awesome. do it. Thanks. Thanks so much, man, for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah. All right. God bless, Chuck. Peace. Oh man. That was that was really good. I'm really glad we finally made that happen. Yeah. That really was amazing. And I'm and really I think Chuck was the perfect person, the only person I know of that we could have had on the program to kind of answer our questions and give us an idea of what polyamory is all about. Yeah. Which we're gonna get into next, but Jamal, don't you got don't you got one more announcement? Man, I do, I do. Um I first of all I'm excited because you know, Keith moved away to Idaho and you're excited about Keith moved away to Idaho and Matt, you live up in, in uh, the, the state of Northern California. And, you know, it's like, we don't, we're, we're we don't get to see each other very often, but that's going to change uh, very soon. Uh, we have an announcement and this announcement is at February 23rd, I believe, right? Tw- February 23rd mm-hmm. from yes, six sir. to ni- 9 PM. You guys are getting on airplanes yeah. and flying in the sky to Southern <laughs> California. And of course, I live here in Southern California and, and Ralph and, and uh, many other people live here. And we're going to come together at Sidecar Donuts, not the actual donut shop, but the, their corporate offices or their corporate space, or, um, which is in Costa Mesa, which is where we had it last time. But we're going to get together. And it's so cool that when we get to come together in person and, you know, and uh, record a live podcast and um have q a and we're going to be in the middle of our sex series mm-hmm. so we're really excited about that so everybody yep. mark your calendar down for that february 23rd from 6 to 9 p.m at sidecar donuts in costa mesa um yeah, yeah. i think there's an yeah. event event set up in the, the facebook yeah, can't group wait. so you know mark that you're coming and we're talking about premarital sex oh, so that's yeah. that's a hot button topic right yes and the crazy thing is we have to talk about this in front of actual people <laughs> Ah, it's lush. Lush. <laughs> it's one thing to talk about this stuff, you know, alone in a dark room with a with a podcast microphone and some headphones. But um like in a room full of people, they're looking right at you and like, all right, let's talk about premarital sex, everybody. This is gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. So if you're married, bring your spouse. If you're single, bring your significant yeah. other. Maybe, you know, and uh we'll see we'll see how to navigate this conversation. And if you're single, bring yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and all right, bring a friend. No, bring, bring, a friend, a friend. bring a friend. Bring a friend. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. So, um, all right. So having said all of that, guys, I think we're finally ready to uh, let's talk about a little bit more, um, the three of us, to talk about our topic, which is polyamory. Got him. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, I honestly don't know. We And it's funny is we don't have any notes for this. Usually we, we type out lots of notes when we um, are talking about a topic. We didn't put any notes in here because honestly... Uh, well, we wanted Chuck to kind of like answer a lot of our questions. I think mostly we had questions uh, and Chuck did help with that. But um, uh, a lot of what, I mean, what I would say about polyamory is just honestly, I don't understand it. Um, I mean, again, I get what Chuck is saying and I get that it's something that um, certain people could decide uh, as Chuck and his wife have decided that they are, they're okay with it, having an open marriage with inviting other people into the relationship in a romantic way. And um, I personally, I mean, it's one of the things where I just can't imagine it because it's not something that connects with me in any way. I, I, I can't imagine it. And my, my concern, and this is nothing new, by the way, because when, when Chuck and I have talked about this privately, uh, this is one of the concerns I brought up because he's my friend and I love him. Um, you know, my concern would be that polyamory if it works for you, great. And I'm sure for a few, for, for a lot of couples, it does work and it works fine. But, it, but there are also a lot of statistics about how um, 
marriages that kind of step in this direction sort of don't remain, uh, they don't remain together. Uh, and so you end up not with a polyamorous marriage in, say, a year or two. You end up with two other people together, but not the original two people that started out. Um, and um, and I guess, again, that's just, if that's your decision. You know, divorce happens, marriages break up, uh, relationships don't always uh, last. And, and again, I, I understand that. Um, but my concern would be that for anybody who was considering polyamory to make sure you go into it with your eyes wide open, understanding that this is a possible outcome. And if you, if that's something you really don't want to happen, I would urge you to be really careful about it. Cause that's my, that was my biggest concern. Um, anyway, just my thought. Yeah, no, I think, I, I mean, I, ha I have my concerns too, which I'll get to, but I'll, I'll say to your first point, Keith, like, if you say you don't get it, I think, I think, and I don't want to speak for Chuck, but like, is the point really to get it? Because there's certain things I don't get either, but like, if someone else gets it, then, then we certainly should have empathy for mm -hmm. that. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I mean, again, and, not and, and, and acknowledging people's, and I know you're not, I know you're not, not acknowledging people's experiences. I would just say that like, there's some things that it doesn't matter if we get mm -hmm. or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Right. But I and and I and I would do I do have my concerns. I mean, like I mean, I have my concerns for people getting married uh monogamously as <laughs> yes. well. I think uh marriage uh is not always for or not ever for the faint of heart. Um so I do have my concerns in that like like uh two people having a relationship is complicated enough. Um like at least acknowledge that sometimes when you add more people to a relationship, it only complicates things. If, if not, if, if not anything, but like mathematically, like you have more relationships involved. Yeah, and you know, I wanted to say, yeah. So, um, so just, you know, as long as you, that's my concern is that as long as people acknowledge that, like it, when you add things to most anything, it becomes more complicated. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And I think you make a good point about even just uh, marriage in general. Like, honestly, a lot of people get married, um, to one spouse who probably do so not having thought it through, not really marrying the right person for the right reasons, coming into the marriage with the wrong expectations of what marriage is even about. A lot of times people think this other person is going to complete them or or change them or make them better people. And and like most things in life, uh, you realize the next day I'm the same person I was the day before. Um, you know, it, I, I, I haven't changed myself. I'm still the same person. I still have to deal with my same flaws and issues and problems. This other person hasn't, hasn't, yeah. if anything, maybe has even complicated it because now I've brought someone else into my mess and I haven't worked out my mess yet enough uh, to be with another person. That, that's a very good point. Sure. Um, well, thanks. What about, what about you, Jamal? You got some initial thoughts? Yeah, I have a few thoughts, man. <clears throat> so first I, I, I'm really glad that we can on this, on this podcast, have a conversation like this because number one, for so long, and obviously I know you guys understand this for so long, anything that ruffles our, you know, feathers or anything that goes against what we've, you know, what we're, what we're used to um, in the Christian world, typically in the religious world. I mean, you just, you get ostracized. I mean, you're kicked out, you're black, blackballed, you're, you know, you're, you're persona non grata, you know, you're, you're it, there's just no room for conversations that, challenge foundational thinking. So um, I'm really glad that on that we can demonstrate like, hey, you know what? There is, we're not, we're not coming at this from a place of you're good or bad. You're this is right or wrong. We're we're having a conversation, you know, and we don't always have to agree or or understand 
things all alike. So I appreciate that. This is, and I, I, this is a conversation that I don't think many, I'm not trying to toot our own horn here, but I really don't think you will listen to a Chris, quote unquote Christian or religious or spiritual or whatever um, podcast um, in the from from a Christian perspective, a lot of times that will actually entertain any kind of conversation like this. So, and I could be wrong. I'm sure there's exceptions out there, but I, I'm just very happy that we can demonstrate that. So that's what I was happy about because Chuck's a good man and uh, Chuck should not be seen as anything other than just a, just a great um, a, a manifestation of the Christ. That's how I would, I would put Chuck. Now with that said regarding polyamory, I mean, I don't, I've, we've had a lot of guests on the show and I haven't always seen eye to eye with all the guests that we've had, but with Chuck's uh, topic, uh, this is probably one where I would I have very strong disagreement with what what his his perspective is, and there's I have reasons for that. Okay, so again, um, and we could probably do a whole episode on 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 this, but think, um, isn't that what we're doing right now? I thought well, we were. I, that's, that's what <laughs> yeah. we're doing. No, we're recording. Right. Right. We're recording. I mean, I, you understand we're recording right now. <laughs> yes, but I, I, I have some very strong disagreements, and that doesn't. I'm not. That's not to say that um, Chuck is wrong. I don't. I'm not coming at it from him like he's sinful or wrong. I just don't view it the same way. I have very different views. So my understanding. So what I'm going to say is coming from my understanding. Yeah, is bring how it I understand the reality. Yeah. So bring my understanding of this situation is first of all. I don't view monogamy um, as something that is, you know, like I, I, one of the things that I think Chuck said is that monogamy, he sees that polyamory is going to be actually, you know, when we move into the future, he just thinks that's going to be more, that's actually going to be something that increases, that people's views change on that. And, you know, maybe in the same way that the LGBTQ um, conversation has enlightened a lot of minds. Um, And so, polyamory in his view would be that this is going to increase in the future. And I actually don't believe that. Um, I could be wrong, but I, I personally feel like you know, quite the opposite. Actually. I think the more we evolve, the more that mo- um, monogamy will actually um, be held to a higher standard. And the reason I say that is because just from an anthro- anthropological perspective, if you look at humanity from history, um, there's been one gender specifically that has had a problem with monogamy. And I will say, and again, this is not, I'm not trying to paint a broad brush. brush. There's always exceptions to this, but historically in history, men have had a problem with monogamy. And the reason for that, I believe is because in this thing called toxic masculinity, men tend have had a problem being wholehearted in in what they commit to. Um, You know, historically it's not been men that, you know, father lots of kids and then, you know, bounce on, you know, move on from then. If you look at the feminine, and I believe that men and women have not evolved equally. <laughs> I believe that women have, I had a guest on my personal podcast a while back. And he just, he just said, I believe women have evolved much more graciously. And I believe that. And there's a reason for that. Um, but I think women, when you look at the way women have loved, it's very monogamous. Whether that, if you look at the way a mother loves their children, it is not, it is very monogamous in that sense. It's very committed. Uh, very rarely in history will you see mothers, um, you know, give birth to lots of children and then just bounce on from them and move on and disconnect from them emotionally, spiritually, whatever, how you want to put that. It's men who have done that. Men have done that not only with their children, men have done that in their relationships. Um, so, you know, polygamy in that sense, which I know is different than polyamory, but polygamy has, is that example where men just cannot commit romantically, um, sexually to one person. 
So I think that is a that is just a lower frequency. It's it's due to men, I think historically, not being connected to their feminine essence. So I believe in every human being, there's a masculine and feminine energy. And so men have historically been disconnected from their heart, which is their feminine energy. So uh, I actually think we're moving into an age as we move, as we evolve and move forward, where the feminine is becoming uh, more pronounced, the feminine energy, the divine feminine is being expressed more. And I think that's going to be a revolution for men. So men are going to come into their divine feminine. And I think because of that are going to become more wholehearted. And, and, and not only will they become, so monogamy has typically been out of duty. I do think if you look at anthropologically, there's been an evolution for men becoming less polygamous and more committed in a monogamous way. But most people, just to be honest, and I agree with Chuck on this, most people are monogamous in an unconscious way, which I do believe leads to divorce and infidelity uh, because people aren't consciously wholehearted in their love. That means they're distracted. They're not connected to their heart. Men are trying to feel. And because of that, that leads to affairs. It leads to um, all kinds of things. So I actually think that the more men come into their feminine essence, the more they're actually going to be free to love, no pun intended. And when you're, the more free to love you are, huh? the more committed to like loving wholeheartedly your children. I, I think you're going to see fathers stop walking out on their kids emotionally, spiritually, physically. I think the same thing, you're going to see the same thing when it comes to uh, romantic relationships. And I want, last thing, I know I'm saying a lot here, but last thing I want to say in defense of my book, Free to Love. So when I wrote Free to Love, um, you know, uh, most people, what they took away from this book was not that it's, so it's not a book on marriage or monogamy. It's a book on oneness. So that's an important distinction. But in light of that, I do believe that the only way we can understand how to have oneness between the genders or not even, even forget about genders. I mean, you, you know, but with anybody, is by understanding the uniqueness. So the more wholehearted you get, the more healing you experience internally, you stop coming from a place of lack, the more I really do believe we can become free to love. And that would be translated in a, in a marriage relationship when you understand oneness. It doesn't lead you to want to have that kind of uh, romantic sexual intimacy with any other person. It's by recognizing the uniqueness and sac sacred nature of that relationship that allows you to have... Um, healthy relationships between the genders because there's no confusion precisely because there's no confusion about this. Um, so I actually believe that a lot of people came away from that book going, Oh, this doesn't do anything. doesn't disregard marriage in any way. It actually, if you understand what I'm trying to get at, takes marriage to the next level in a monogamous way. So if we can get like, I really believe that more people um, are healed in their heart and can be wholehearted. So committed to their own, healing their own heart, that's going to be mirrored and reflected in a man's commitment to a woman that he's not going to be uh, disjointed and, you know, searching and running from this woman to this woman to this woman. It's going to be precisely devoted in this unique sexual marital way to one woman. And I actually believe that's the way uh, nature is moving. We're moving into that. That's actually very natural to our humanity. In my opinion, I know Chuck would disagree with that, but that's just where I'm coming from. Yeah, because I mean, and I'll be honest, man, I'm, uh, and it's been a while since I read your book, so so maybe I'm fuzzy on it, but I I seem to remember that I think one of my concerns about free to love was that I I did sort of understand, or maybe misunderstand, but I did I felt like what I was reading when I read Free to Love, and one of my concerns about it was it felt to me as if you were sort of, uh, I mean, you talk a lot in the book about how you know um, marriage is not the ultimate relationship, and marriage has even become an idol for some people. 
you talk about the fact that if you're in a, a marriage relationship and your one person is on a different page, um, you know, it's, you have options. You said you have options. And one of those options is you, you can disengage from that relationship and be in a relationship with somebody else in a, in a more intense way. So maybe I misunderstood you, but, uh, but I, but I do want to at least give you the opportunity to, to respond. And maybe, maybe you, you feel like you already did, but um, I'm you, confused. Yeah. I, I did feel like, I, I did feel like you would be more open to what Chuck is talking about than you are. And in fact, you're, yeah, no, you, you know, that's, that, that that is interesting. I understand that's your that was your take on it, Keith. Uh, I mean, I can't speak for everybody that read it, but most most of the people I heard from that read it have the opposite view. That literally, it's like most people approach marriage thinking that this contract you sign on the dotted line, this preacher, you get up, you go through the ceremony, and now suddenly you're experiencing the glories of oneness. And I'm just my book was to say no, actually, that is the ceremony of marriage. Marriage typically seen through, if you want to use this vernacular an old covenant lens is really more about covenant. It's more about law. It's more about obligation and duty than it is understanding the reality of oneness. So oneness can be expressed in a myriad of different relationships. One of the ways that oneness can be expressed, however, is through marriage. So if you can perceive the reality of oneness, which is not synonymous with marriage, if you can perceive it though in a romantic sexual way with a partner, then I believe that it can... But we're given, I believe we're, we are designed and wired to be wholehearted in our, so like, again, to share a life, you know, your life space, your sexuality, your, the essence of who you are. I believe that that's really not possible personally. And this is a whole other conversation we get into. I believe that's really only possible with one person. I mean, it's really difficult, you know, for people to be in multiple relationships at the same time in which they're give they're given in that kind of way to another person. So that's where I believe marriage is actually meant for this realm, this dimension, this age. That's what we're created to be. But oneness is a is a reality. Again, it's a spiritual understanding, it's a spiritual reality. It shows us um, a sense of connection and it shows a sense of mirroring where we see ourselves and the other person. You can experience that with other people. It's just not expressed in that total kind of way that you would experience with a spouse. And I, I was pretty clear about that in the book. And I the entire, wrote several couple, two or three chapters on the exclusivity of why, of, of how that is carried out in a marital relationship. And uh, again, so I, I, I wanted to really make that distinction that what I was saying in free to love is not, I'm not blurring the lines of having a sexual um, romantic relationship with multiple people. Actually, it's because that exclusivity exclusivity exists in the marital relationship that allows us to safely have um, healthy relationships with with all all kinds of other people. That because those boundaries are not crossed, you know. So, like, I never have to worry. Um, like, I'm engaged. I'm going to be married very soon, and I'm so excited about that. But I I, I love the fact that I don't worry about my partner. Um, having those kinds of relationships with anybody else that actually provides a real, it mirrors back to me a beautiful sense of certainty. And the same thing with her. Like she doesn't have to worry about me entering into like romantic sexual uh, kinds of relationships with other, other people because, you know, that is, I am, I am, my love is wholehearted in that unique way for her and her for me. And so I actually think that enabled me to have these kinds of relationships with other people. We know a lot yeah. of coach people of, uh, of the opposite gender, and there's no, no question, you know, of, of, of my intentions there uh, because of that very reason. Yeah. And, and that's where I, I'm like, I'm so happy that you're in a relationship like that. I think that's fucking amazing. Like I, I'm in a relationship like that with my wife. Like there's, I, you know, I don't, I don't worry about those sort of things, but I think, 
that this is where I might kind of disagree with you, or I will kind of disagree with you, Jamal, is that like your experiences are completely valid and so are mine. And my wife and I completely understand that we're not polyamorous. We, that's not something that interests us. Um, we, you know, we are totally content to be monogamous, but if, if, if three other people say that we experience the oneness that you're talking about with the three of us, I can't, I have no leg to stand on experientially, um, to say otherwise. Like I can't, I, I can say for myself, absolutely. I, I have this tacit knowledge that I've, that I've, that I know only through a firsthand experience. And, uh, I know that for a fact that what you're talking about is of no interest to me. My wife says the same thing. However, I can't say that you can't experience the oneness if you're in an open marriage or if you're polyamorous, uh, if, 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 if all parties involved are saying like, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, Jamal, but we experience it with the three of us or something. For instance, I know Chuck said there's a lot of different variations of polyamory. And so we're just using the term to describe kind of all of them. But whatever that situation is, if all parties involved say, well, that's what I experience when I'm in these type of relationships. Uh, I have sort of a hard time saying no to that because I, I can't, I've never experienced that. So I'm not sure that like I, while I agree with you, everything you're saying, I agree with for myself. I'm just not sure it would be certain or true for every human being because, and I, I, I don't know what it's like to be those other human beings. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think there's outliers, you know, I don't, uh, I'm just saying this is my perspective and understanding on, um, on, on what I feel like is representative of reality and where the majority of people will go into the future. I, I actually don't think polyamory will ever catch on like monogamy, uh, is and is becoming because for this very reason, just be, I think more people will become consciously monogamous, which is something that Chuck, a point Chuck made, which I think is healthy. Is like, yeah, people should be consciously monogamous versus unconsciously. Yeah, we should be totally conscious in, in our relationships. One of the big problems I have with marriage is just look at how much time and energy and money is spent on the wedding, right? And the bull and the bullshit we go through, especially in the Christian church, with our so-called premarital counseling that most of us go through, mm -hmm. which is basically a couple months of talking to a pastor who's not a counselor who gives you some workbook, and you're <laughs> you're just you're just going through this this bullshit, and, and that's the energy we spend on the the quote unquote marriage, and we spend thousands of dollars and hours picking out cake and and bridesmaid dresses and tuxedos and all this bullshit, and and not that those things aren't fun. But it's just it's it's kind of weird how we don't actually we're not conscious about what a marriage, which is just you know, uh, I mentioned that Schnarch book. David Schnarch says marriage is a people growing machine. You will have to grow up in this, or the parent marriage will not work. And most of us, you know, those of us who are monogamous are very unconscious when it comes to our marriage. I mean, we and our and and our partners like. We're just we're just unconscious in in so many areas. Like consciousness, we need to be aware. We need to be present mm -hmm. in, in all of the things that we do, and and it's marriage, especially when monogamous or polyamorous. Otherwise, yeah. yeah. And I would just say I um, and obviously we all have our opinions about things. Um, I just don't feel comfortable making predictions about the future about anything, and and certainly not about whether or not polyamory is going to become more popular one day, or or monogamy is going to. Uh, or whatever. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I, I have no idea. I can only say for myself, if, if 
20 years from now, um, 50% of relationships are polyamorous. That won't change my opinion <laughs> on, on my relationships and what I'm, what I'm comfortable with and what I, what I choose uh, to engage in. And so uh, maybe, maybe yeah. not, I, I don't know. But, well, um, I think no matter yeah. what we, I think no matter what we view on the issue, as long as we treat people with empathy and respect and patience and and uh, honor, and we and we don't judge, and you know, too many times we worry about the yeah other people, and there's this verse that we seem to forget about, you know, about about the speck and the log, and we always seem to focus on our other people's specks. So even if we called something sin, or even if we didn't agree with it, I just think it's beautiful that you know, at least some people are moving towards a place of saying, well, I don't get it. I don't know if that's, that wouldn't be great for me, but I'm not going to judge anything, even if I disagree with it. And more people need to get to that place where I'm not saying polyamory is a sin and none of us are actually, but even if we viewed things that way, we get to a place where we have empathy for people and we don't judge other people's experiences. Um, so that, and I hope we do that on the show and that we don't try to shame or, or, you know, ostracize other people. And that's never our intention. I know you guys agree with me with that. Oh one. yeah, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chuck, we love you. Thank yeah. you for coming on the show. Love you, Chuck. Yes. Let's finish that book. Shameless plug. <laughs>